This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today, we want to begin a series on what is the truth about, and we want to begin with what is the truth about God. What I'm about to read to you comes from www.everystudent.com with the title, Connecting with the Divine. It states, most Hindus worship one being of ultimate oneness, Brahman, through infinite representations of gods and goddesses. These various manifestations of gods and goddesses become incarnate within idols, temples, gurus, rivers, animals, etc. Hindus believe their position in this present life was determined by their actions in a previous life. A Hindu's goal is to become free from the law of karma, to be free from continuous reincarnations. Only the soul matters which will one day be free of the cycle of rebirths and be at rest. So Hinduism believes there are infinite manifestations of God. The New Age movement promotes the development of the person's own power or divinity. When referring to God, a follower of the New Age is not talking about a transcendent personal God who created the universe, but is referring to a higher consciousness within themselves. A person in New Age would see themselves as God, the cosmos, the universe. In fact, everything that the person sees, hears, feels, or imagines is to be considered divine. So New Age movement believes we ourselves are God. Buddhists do not worship any gods or God. People outside of Buddhism often think that Buddhists worship the Buddha, however, the Buddha, his name being Siddhartha Gautama, never claimed to be divine, but rather he is viewed by Buddhists as having attained what they are also striving to attain, which is spiritual enlightenment and with it freedom from the continuous cycle of life and death. Most Buddhists believe a person has countless rebirths, which inevitably includes suffering. A Buddhist seeks to end these rebirths. Buddhists believe it is a person's cravings, aversion, and delusion that causes these rebirths. Therefore, the goal of a Buddhist is to purify one's heart and to let go of all yearnings towards sensual desires and the attachment to oneself. So Buddhism believes that no god or gods exist. Muslims believe there is one almighty god named Allah who is infinitely superior to and transcendent from humankind. Transcendent means surpassing. Allah is viewed as the creator of the universe and the source of all good and all evil. 
everything that happens is Allah's will. So Muslims or Islam is devoted to one transcendent God. Mormons believe God was once a man like we are. In the work Fast Facts on False Teachers, pages 166 to 168, we find this. Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets scattered throughout the cosmos are ruled by countless gods who were once human like us. They say that long ago on one of these planets to an unidentified god and one of his goddess wives, a spirit child named Elohim was conceived. The spirit child was later born to human parents who gave him a physical body. Through obedience to Mormon teaching, death, and resurrection, he proved himself worthy and was elevated to godhood as his father before him. Mormons believe that Elohim is their heavenly father and that he lives with his many wives on a planet near a mysterious star named Kolob. Well, <clears throat> I found it interesting whenever we lived in Blue Springs, Missouri, we lived pretty close there to a Mormon church building. And when the little Mormon elders would come by, I decided one day I was going to ask them. And there were two of them, and I asked the question, do you believe that you will become the god of your planet someday, of your own planet someday? And the one young man spoke up and answered and said, quote, if we are worthy, we will, unquote. I'd always wondered what the really the draw to Mormonism was. Now I see men have the belief that they will someday become God of their own planet and that Mormon women are so faithful to their husbands because they believe that whenever their husband becomes a God, that he will raise them from the dead to everlasting life and they will have celestial sex and populate their own planet. And again, many goddess wives will be there. Well, Christians believe in a loving God who has revealed himself and can be known in a personal way in this life. Christians regard the Bible as God's written message to humankind. Whatever circumstances a Christian is dealing with in their life, the Bible teaches that they can confidently turn to a wise and powerful God who genuinely loves them. They believe that God answers prayer and that life takes on meaning as they live to honor Him. So Christianity has an infinite and personal God. So, kind of recapping that, Hindus acknowledge multitudes of gods and goddesses. Buddhists say there is no deity. New Age followers believe they are God. Muslims believe in a powerful but an unknowable God. Mormons believe faithful men will become gods. Christians believe in a God who is loving and approachable. So what is the truth about God? Well, first of all, we'll notice that God is eternal. God is the everlasting God. 
when you look at Psalm 90, verse 2, Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And God is the eternal God. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without they are without excuse. So God is eternal. Buddhists are wrong then because there is a God. And there is no other God. There is only one true God. In Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12, Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12, we see mentioned there that there was no God before Jehovah God. It says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. In Isaiah 44, Verses 6 through 8, again we see there is no God but Jehovah God. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call, and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people? And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. And then in Isaiah 45, verse 5, it says, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. And then in Isaiah 46, verse 9. Isaiah 46, verse 9. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. So Hindus are wrong because there is only one God and Mormons are wrong because there is no other God. Well, the Bible teaches that there are three in the Godhead and that these three make up the one God. You know, in other words, the Father is not the Spirit, and the Father is not the Son, 
the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and is not the Spirit, but all three of those are the one, excuse me, the one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35, it says unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, and there is none else beside him. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is God the Father, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, and Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then there is God the Son. He is called Jesus, and he is called the Word. In John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is also God the Spirit. God the Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. It says there, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And then Matthew twenty-eight nineteen mentions all three. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then we look in Matthew chapter 3. There whenever Jesus was baptized, look at verse 13 through 17. It says, Then cometh Jesus, the Word, the Son, from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it now to be, for thus becometh us to fulfill all righteousness that he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God. So now we have the Word, Jesus, and we have the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. 
And lo, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So in these few verses there in Matthew 3, 13 to 17, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, Muslims and New Agers are wrong because there are three that make up the one Godhead, not just one as Muslims teach, and not everyone as New Agers teach. And again, God is not like us. Psalm 50, verses 21 to 23. Psalm 50, verses 21 to 23. It says, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence, that thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that is that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. And then in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5, Isaiah 42, verse 5, it says, Thus saith the Lord, God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. And in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. And then God is higher than us, Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." And Isaiah 40:17 says, "We are as nothing before God." Isaiah 40:17. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. So you go back to the Mormon doctrine, Mormons are wrong because men do not become gods. Now again, you're not going to find that. In the Book of Mormon, you're going to find that in the sermons that were delivered by Joseph Smith, and you're going to find it also in sermons that were delivered by his followers. Well, God is not, nor ever was he, a man. Going back to that, Job chapter 9, verse 32. Job 9, 32 it says there, Job speaking, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. And then in Numbers 23, 19, Numbers 23, verse 19, 
It says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Well, who is like God? Well, you go to Isaiah 40, and we're going to look at verses 18 to 23. Isaiah 40, 18 to 23, and we'll find that there is none like God. The verses state, To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth over it with gold, and cast the silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, that is God, that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth vanity. And I want to notice one thing here. There in verse 22, it is God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. The earth is not flat as some are beginning to teach again. Well, what is the truth about God? God is love. God has a self-sacrificing love, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, be a live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That word agape, God is love. A good definition for that word is a self-sacrificial love that looks out for the best of others regardless of the cost to self. That's the kind of love that God has for us. You know, God's love is shown in the death of the Christ, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the perfect definition of love, that agape love. God's love for us is self-sacrificial. We are the object of his love, and he sent Jesus into this world to die. Jesus came willingly to obey perfectly the will of God so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And God showed his love toward us in that self-sacrifice. 
He gave us the benefit of his love, though it cost the life of the Christ. In Romans 5, verses 5 through 8, Romans 5, verses 5 through 8, it says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were without, yet without strength, in other words, there's no way we could have our sins forgiven. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, uh, peradventure a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, it will, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us, and he sent the son to satisfy the requirements of sin for us. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have that hope of eternal life. God's love is also shown to us in allowing us to be his children. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You know, Jesus was sent into this world to become sin for us, so that we could be children of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says, for he, that mean God the Father, hath made him, the word, Jesus the Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what God has done for us. So every religion is wrong about God except for true Christianity. Hindus have to do good and no evil to get away from the law of karma and finally be at rest. New Agers think they can do anything they want to because they consider themselves to be God. Buddhists believe they have to save themselves. The false god of Islam, Allah, is unloving and unapproachable. 
Mormons believe they're going to be gods and goddesses by obeying Mormon doctrine. But true Christianity acknowledges that humans are incapable of saving themselves. So God set forth a plan for man's salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus and our obedience to God's word. You see, God did that for us. That's called grace because God owes us nothing. God is full of mercy. In other words, he does not give us what we deserve. You look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, notice who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. We see God's love and mercy go together. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. God is rich in mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And God is gracious. He gives us what we do not deserve. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So right there in that verse, God's grace, through his great love for us, his great mercy for us, he offered us his grace. And you'll notice that it is through faith. In Romans chapter 5, going back to Romans chapter 5, we find there, starting in verse 1, that we must access the grace of God. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace are you saved through faith. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that we access God's grace through our obedient faith. And in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Titus 2, 1 tells us that for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. God has offered his grace to everyone. That disproves Calvinism. God wants everyone to be saved. Now, let's go to another thing that God does for us. God is forgiving 
He remembers our sins no more. First John chapter one or chapter one verse nine. First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we notice something else here. We access God's grace by our obedient faith, and then we are still going to sin. We're not sinners anymore because we're not living in sin. But Christians do slip up, do we not? You think about Peter denied the Lord. You think about some of the other Christians that have fallen away and returned and repented. Simon the sorcerer is an example of that. So we must confess our sins to God, and if we do that, we repent, then he, notice, is just and faithful to forgive us our sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and he cleanses us as long as we walk in the light, First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. It keeps on cleansing us from our sin if we are walking in the light. And verse 9 tells one way to do that is confessing our sins to God and being faithful because verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Well, God is also long-suffering with us. He's patient with us. Go to Romans chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. Romans chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. It says, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? That's long-suffering toward us. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Those are the ones who have accessed God's grace through obedient faith which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So God has called every, all of us, he calls us through the gospel. Now notice another thing about God. God is holy. That means sacred, hallowed, blameless. Look at 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or all manner of living, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now we'll never reach the perfect holiness of God, but we are to do our best to try. We are to never stop trying to be holy. And God demands obedience. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. 
It says, though he were a son, speaking of Jesus, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. You know, we must be obedient to God. We go back to Leviticus chapter 10, and we find those that were not obedient to God. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon. All right, so, so far things are all right. Nadab and Abihu are priests, they're the sons of Aaron. They were authorized to take censers. They were authorized to put incense on them and put fire in it. The problem was they offered fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to use. It says they put fire therein and incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had commanded them not. They were not to take the fire from wherever they took it from. God had authorized the altar of burnt offering, and we'll look at that in a moment. Well, what happened to them when they did not do what God authorized? There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. When we look at chapter 16, verse 1, Leviticus 16, verse 1, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And then look at verse 12. It says here of Aaron, He shall take a censer full of burning coals from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So that fire was to come from the altar of burnt offering for this incense to be burnt. Where did Nadab and Abihu get it? I don't know. I know where they did not get it from. They did not get it from the altar. And they did what God had not authorized. We know from Matthew 7, 21 to 23 that God only accepts what he authorizes also. Jesus says there, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, doing what God has authorized. Verse 22, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, they did not do the will of the Father which is in heaven. They did things that are not authorized by God. And we look at that and we have to come to the realization that God is to be feared. Look at Psalm 38, verses 5 through 9. Psalm 38, verses 5 through 9. It says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now stop there for a minute. 
God spoke and these things happened. You know, you go back to Genesis 1. God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let the dry land appear. It appeared. God said this and it happened. That's what we're looking at here. By the breath of his mouth, he made all these things. Verse 7 of Psalm 38. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heat. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That is one of the biggest problems that humankind has today. We don't fear God. And we need to fear him. We need to stand in awe of him. We need to be what God wants us to be and do His do things God's way, not our way, not somebody else's way. Do things God's way. So what is the truth about God? God is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. We are immortal. We had a beginning. God gave us our spirit. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, that's this body, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. See, we had a beginning. When we were conceived in our mother's womb, we had a beginning. We're immortal. We had a beginning. We'll have no end. We may die in this world. This physical body may die and go back to the dust, as Solomon said there. But this, this spirit, our spirit, will go on. And we're going to have that immortal body someday. You know, look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But God is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. There is no other God. There is only one true God. All the other gods that are mentioned are false gods. There are three in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Word we know him as, or excuse me, in the Spirit, we know the Son as the Word. We know him also as Jesus Christ. There are three in the Godhead. These three make up the one God. And God is not like us. You know, too often we try to put God on a human plane. Uh, we try to make God into something like Grandpa. You know, Grandpa lets us do anything we want to do, and it doesn't matter. Well, God's not like us. God's not Grandpa. God is an eternal being. God demands the things that we must do, and he instructs us. That's why he gave us his word, so that we would know what to do, because God is love. God loves us. We are the object of his affection. And he wants us to be saved. That's why he sent his son into the world to die, because we needed a perfect sacrifice. 
It's not something we demanded of God. It's something that God willingly gave to us, his grace. He doesn't give us what we deserve, his mercy. He gives us what we don't deserve, his grace. And he provided us a way to access his grace. Because God is full of mercy. God is gracious. And God is forgiving. As we read a while ago in 1 John 1.10, if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. But we must access God's plan, access, I guess put it this way, access the blood of Christ. And we do that through our baptism. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall ye that are, or we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? When did we die in sin? See, that's the question. When did we die in sin? Or dead, when are we dead to sin that we don't live in any longer? Well, he explains that in verses 3 and following. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. You see, there are several things about baptism. Acts 2.38, we're baptized for forgiveness of sins. Acts 22.16, we're baptized to wash away sins. Romans 6.3, we're baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. And that is where he shed his blood in his death. That's where we contact that blood of Christ. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. A burial, not a sprinkling, not a pouring. Baptism is a burial. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you look at this in the negative way, no burial in water, no newness of life. We are raised, forgiven of our sins. Verse 5, 4, if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. When, are we, when is our old man of sin crucified? In baptism. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Where is the body of sin destroyed? In baptism. That henceforth we should not serve sin. So the answer is, to the question in verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? When did we die to sin? We died to sin when our old man was crucified in baptism. And God is long-suffering. This old world is still standing today because God is long-suffering. He wants everyone to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God is holy. God is perfectly holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, we read earlier. We must strive to be holy like God. We'll never reach that perfect holiness that he has, though. And God demands obedience. He will not accept anything that he has not authorized. You know, too many people look at it, well, God didn't say you can't do it. That means I can do it. No. We have to do what God hath authorized because he demands obedience. Just ask Nadab and Abihu. Because God will accept only what he authorizes. And because of these things, God is to be feared. We must fear God. We must stand in awe of God. We must have reverence for God. You know, all these curse words and all these euphemisms that we use, that's not going to stand up in the day whenever we're facing the judge because by our words, we're going to be justified by our words. We're going to be condemned. So we must be faithful to God. That is the truth about God. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures today. And we're going to continue in this series as we're going to look at what is the truth about Satan, what is the truth about heaven, what is the truth about hell, what is the truth about salvation, what is the truth about sin, what is the truth about the church, and other lessons as well. So we look forward to seeing you next time whenever we look at the next What is the Truth lesson. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.